Hi, my name is Lynn McTaggart. Welcome to my podcast, Living the New Science. In these podcasts, I'm covering some extraordinary discoveries by frontier scientists and why this changes everything we think about how our world works and also how we should live our lives. Today, I want to talk a bit about how our thoughts are not locked inside our heads, but are trespassers, which can affect the world out there. The most astonishing implication of the new physics concerns the role of human intention, its ability to shape our world, its central role in the nature of reality. Quantum theory suggests that reality is not fixed, but fluid or mutable, and hence open to influence, and that we are central to this entire process as influencers. The latest scientific research shows that our thoughts express themselves as an energy that can actually be measured as a surge of electrical voltage, changing the molecular structure of the object of our intentions. Our thoughts, our hopes, desires, wishes, have an independent energy that transforms the nature of our world. Our own order appears to have a domino effect on the object of intention. The scientific research demonstrates that our intentions change the very properties of physical reality around us. Experiments using directed intention have recorded changes in temperature, in the electrical conductivity of water, and even in the proportion of magnetic force seen in ordinary physical reality. The domino effect of our own coherent and quantum energy appears to create a conditioned space, a place where the ambient zero-point field is somehow more ordered. In former Stanford University physicist William Tiller's so-called black box experiments, where he had a group of healers send an intention into a piece of electrical equipment uh, to make a batch of fruit flies develop more quickly. He then sent the box to another lab and turned it on in front of the flies. It not only worked, and the flies grew more quickly, but subsequent intentions in the same lab began to work more quickly. It's as though human thought has a power that affects all of the space around it in order to send its message. A body of extraordinary research has been able to demonstrate how our intention actually changes physical reality. Bernard Grad, Ph.D., formerly an associate professor of psychiatry at McGill University in Montreal, carried out numerous studies on the effect of healers holding containers of water that were to be used to irrigate plants. Afterwards, he chemically analyzed the water by infrared spectroscopy and found that the water treated by the healers had minor shifts in molecular structure, producing a fundamental change in the oxygen-hydrogen bonds and decreasing hydrogen bonding between the molecules, 
similar to what happens when water is exposed to magnets. A number of other scientists have confirmed Grad's findings. In a similar study, experienced meditators were asked to attempt to affect the molecular structure of water held in a test tube while in their meditative state. Again, examination by infrared spectrophotometry showed that the quality of the water, particularly its absorption characteristics, had been significantly altered. Astonishingly, when we hold a focused thought, it's likely that we are making an alteration in the molecular structure of something outside ourselves. A number of researchers have attempted to quantify the energy produced by human intention. Psychologist Elmer Green, best known for his extensive work on biofeedback, and his colleagues at the Menager Clinic, now in Houston, wired an electrode to a healer sitting inside a room with copper walls to block out all interference from any other electromagnetic source. Although participants have the expected readings of 10 to 15 millivolts from ordinary breathing and heartbeats, the healer's body voltage would zoom up to a voltage 100,000 times larger than normal. At the same time this was happening, corresponding pulses of 1 to 5 volts appeared on each of the four copper walls. On investigating the source of this energy, the researchers discovered that the pulses were coming from the healer's lower abdomen. Only a small current from him had to flow for a short period of time to achieve this extraordinarily large voltage. The healer's intention to heal ultimately manifested itself as a huge surge of electrical power. If directed thought is a tangible energy that can have a physical impact on everything in your world, we can use these intentions to interact with our possessions and the living things around us. Most of the evidence to date suggests that the systems most open to change are what scientists refer to as labile, which means mutable or easily open to change. Living systems are dynamic, open systems. That is, they're always changing. In other words, it's easier to heal someone or a living thing constantly in flux than to lift or change a static element like a chair. Quantum physicists, the late Dr. Emilio del Giudice and the late Dr. Giuliano Preparato of the University of Milan, provided a glimpse as to why this might be. The two physicists spent years studying the physics of ordinary water. They discovered that water molecules have coherent domains, which means they act just like a laser to efficiently transfer electromagnetic frequencies by creating resonance between water molecules. Dr. Xu Yin Lo of the American Technologies Group has discovered that when a substance is dissolved in water and subjected to repeated dilutions and shakings, as it does in homeopathy, 
Clusters of ice crystals form in the water, not because of the temperature, but because of the electromagnetic energy fields. Lowe also discovered that these ice crystals are apparently unique to the substance itself and change every time it's diluted, as is done in homeopathy. This confirms the special properties of water as a kind of recording medium that can capture and store quantum information. Like the tape in an audio tape recorder, water can pick up signals, store them, and transfer them on. When we intend something, we're changing the taped message. These results have enormous repercussions when you consider that living things are largely composed of water. We humans are about 80% water, and plants are about 90% water. The results also accord with the experiences of healers, who often claim that any reputable healer can energize water for healing. The simplest way to test the power of human intention is to see if human consciousness can affect machinery that's governed by a probabilistic system. In the 1970s, Helmut Schmidt, a physicist and researcher at Boeing Aeronautics, produced the first random number generator, a 20th century version of the flip of a coin the movements of which were based on a system of random radioactive atomic decay. These are machines with an output consisting of a perfectly random activity that in physics is viewed as a state of disorder. If it can be shown that participants in a study have altered some element of the machine's output, even ever so slightly, they would have shifted the odds of something happening or altered the tendency of a system to behave in a certain way. Some information transfer or ordering mechanism would be going on, what physicists term negative entropy, or negentropy for short, the move away from randomness or disarray to some sort of order. It's like persuading a person at a crossroads momentarily undecided about taking a walk, to head down one road rather than another. They would, in other words, have created order. The most persuasive of these studies has been designed and carried out by the late former Dean of Engineering, Robert John, at the Princeton Anomalies Engineering Research Laboratory, or Pear Lab, at Princeton University. John refined and improved Schmitz's original equipment, determining that his random event generators, or regs for short, should be driven by an electronic noise source rather than atomic decay. The random movement of these machines to either heads or tails is controlled by a randomly alternating frequency of positive and negative pulses. Their output is utterly random and without any inherent order. So, according to the laws of probability, they can be expected to produce either heads or tails approximately 50% of the time. The most common configuration is a computer screen that's randomly alternating two images. Let's say cowboys and Indians. 
Over hundreds of thousands of studies, John decisively demonstrated that human intention can influence these random electronic devices to produce more of one image as specified by the participant, more Indians than cowboys say. In 1987, a combined analysis of all the reg experiments, more than 800 carried out by some 68 investigators, showed that experimenters could affect the machine so that it gave the desired result 51 to 52 percent of the time instead of the expected 50 percent. In some of Schmidt's experiments, certain individuals had shifted the odds to 54 percent. Now, although 51 or 52 or even 54 percent doesn't sound like much of an effect, statistically speaking, it's a giant step. If you combine all the studies into what is called a meta-analysis, the odds of this overall score occurring are a trillion to one. The U.S. National Research Council also concluded that the REG trials could not be explained by chance. An effect size is a figure which measures the actual size of change or outcome in a study. It's arrived at by factoring in such variables as the number of participants and the duration time of the test. The overall effect size of the pair database was 0.2 per hour. The pair effect sizes are considered small, whereas the overall reg studies are considered small to medium. However, these effect sizes are far larger than those of many drugs deemed to be highly successful in medicine. For instance, the effect of aspirin in preventing heart disease is 0.032, about 10 times smaller than the pair effect size. A simple way to understand effect sizes is to convert it into the number of persons surviving out of 100 people in a medical emergency. An effect size of 0.2 means that 20 more people than expected out of 100 will survive. To give some hypothetical idea of the magnitude of the pair effect size, let's say that with a certain type of heart operation, one-third of patients usually survive. Now, say that patients undergoing this operation are given a new drug with an effect size of 0.3 about the size of the pair effect. Offering the drug on top of the operation would virtually double the survival rate so that two-thirds of patients undergoing the procedure will live. An additional effect size of 0.3 would turn a medical treatment that had been life-saving less than half the time into one that worked in a majority of cases. John and his colleague developmental psychologist Brenda Dunn refined the scientific protocol of random event consciousness research. They decided that all their reg studies should follow the same design. Each participant sitting in front of the computer would undergo three tests of equal length. In the first, he would will the machine to produce more Indians, say. In the second, more cowboys. In the third, he would attempt not to influence the machine in any capacity. This three-stage process was to guard against any bias in the equipment. 
the machine would then record the operator's decisions virtually simultaneously. When a participant pressed a button, he would set off a trial of 200 binary hits of one or zero, lasting about one-fifth of a second, during which time he would hold his mental intention to produce, for instance, more than 100 Indians. Usually, the pair team would ask each operator to carry out a run of 50 trials at one go, a process that might only take half an hour, but which would produce 10,000 hits of cowboys or Indians. Dunn and John examined scores for each operator in blocks of 50 to 100 runs, which meant everything from 2,500 to 5,000 trials, or 500,000 to 1 million binary hits, the best-sized chunk of data they determined for pinpointing trends reliably. John and Dunn showed that their experiments were significant through a tried-and-tested method in statistics called cumulative averages, which entailed continually adding up your results for each trial and averaging it, then plotting it on a graph. The graph would show the mean, or average, and certain standard deviations, where results deviate from the mean but are not considered significant. In trials of 200 binary hits occurring randomly, there should be an average of 100 heads and 100 tails over time, so that your bell curve would have 100 as its mean. If you were to plot each result of every trial, you'd have individual points on your bell curve, 101, 103, 95, 104, representing each score. Because any single effect is so tiny, it's difficult this way to see any overall trend. But if you continue to add up and average your results, any effects, no matter how slight, will lead to a steadily increasing departure from expectation which is the mean or central part of the bell curve. Cumulative averaging shows off any deviation in bold relief. It was also clear that a vast amount of data was needed. Statistical glitches happen even with a pool as large as 25,000 trials. Examining a binary chance event like coin tossing, you should be throwing heads or tails roughly half the time. If you tossed a coin 200 times and came up with 102 heads, given the small numbers involved, your slight favoring of heads would still be statistically well within the laws of chance. But if you tossed that same coin 2 million times and had 1,020,000 heads, this would represent a huge deviation from chance. With tiny effects like the reg tests, it is not individual or small clusters of studies, but the combining of vast amounts of data that can compound to a significant result. Humans aren't the only living beings with influence over the physical world. Using a variation of John's reg machines, a French scientist named René Penochet carried out an ingenious experiment with baby chicks. As soon as they were born, a movable reg device was imprinted on them as their mother. 
The robot was then placed outside the chick's cage and allowed to move about freely, while Pinochet tracked its path. After a time, the evidence was clear. The robot was moving toward the chicks more than it would do if it were wandering randomly. The desire of the chicks to be near their mother was an inferred intention that appeared to be having an effect in drawing the machine nearer. Pinochet carried out a similar study with baby rabbits. This time, he placed a bright light on the movable reg that the baby rabbits found abhorrent. When the data from the experiment were analyzed, it appeared that the rabbits were successfully willing the machine to stay away from them. Now, I'm going to suggest some experiments to test the power of your thoughts. All you'll need in the way of equipment is a notebook and a calendar. When you're first starting, note the date and times of your intentions. Make a daily note of any change in the object of your intention and be specific. Select a goal that's never happened, but that you'd like to have happen. Choose something that seldom occurs or is particularly unlikely so that if it does come to pass, it's more likely to be the result of your intention. And also something where change can be easily quantified. Here's a possibility. How about improving the weather to make it 30% more or less rain, say? Or growing your plants or crops 10% faster than usual? And for this, I would use one plant where you're sending an intention to it and another almost identical plant that is not getting your intention. As you begin to manifest, you can try more complicated thoughts. But remember, at first you want one single event to change, something where change can be easily quantified and can be probably attributed to your thoughts. So in the case of weather, Ask your chamber of commerce or your local council to provide you with the monthly rainfall average over the past few years. Have a look at the rainfall average, say, for April, if you're going to do intention for April of this year. See what it was in April's past. Note them down. So then set your intention to have. 30% less or more rain for April of this year. Wait for your Chamber of Commerce to compile the statistics and then find out if there's any change for April of this year. And if it works, make sure to let us know by coming onto my social media, my Facebook page, um, Instagram, or Twitter account. Just look up Lynn McTaggart in one of those social media um, outlets, and let us know what happened. We'd love to hear. This is Lynn McTaggart, helping you to live the new science. Keep listening, and I'll continue to give you information and tips each time about how to incorporate this new information into your life. And don't forget, just once a year, I offer intensive teaching on the keys to successful intention and the Power of Eight during a single year-long Power of Eight Intention Masterclass. 
It's a six-week webinar course, live webinar, after which I place all the Intention Masterclass members in Power of Eight groups to meet weekly for an entire year under my ongoing supervision. Then you receive four more bonus webinars and weekly tips, guidance, and monitoring from me. You meet with your Intention family regularly via Skype or Zoom and watch the miracles unfold. When we've monitored Masterclass members who attend these sessions religiously, close to 100% get positive results. This past year, my participants have overcome depression and many other chronic illnesses, had amazing financial windfalls, found dream homes and dream jobs, and much more. To find out more or book your place, go to lynnmctaggart.com and follow the Intention Masterclass link.